All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you on this rare day where there was this white stuff falling from the uh, sky early this morning, if you were up that early and quickly has uh, left us. Uh, but it's good to see all of you. I hope you're doing well. Um, when we were kids, we learned nursery rhymes, we learned little songs and, you know, things like that. And if you've ever taken the time to listen, like, intently and closely to the words, some of them are whack. Some of them are insane, what we're like saying to one another. So you've got, song, you've got little nursery rhymes like Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and couldn't keep her. He put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. Because like, that's what we want to teach our sons. Lock your daughter, lock your wife away, right? Put her in a shell. That We want to teach that. You've got things, maybe you've sung. Rockabye baby in the treetop, right? Like what happens when a baby falls out of a tree? That is a tragic thing. Why do we sing about that? You've got, uh, what about the, the old woman who, who lived in a shoe? There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do, understand. She gave them, she gave them broth without any bread, then whipped them all soundly and put them to bed. Again, we want to teach our kids, beat your hungry children, right? So we sing these songs, and I don't understand why. But then on the flip side, you've got some other nursery rhymes where their lyrics are fantastic. Like, and we probably don't even realize how awesome they are. So we've, um, we, we've sung this one in here before. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord, right? That, that through Christ, all who believe are spiritual descendants of Abraham. Like, that is a theologically rich little nursery rhyme. You got another one. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know that? For the Bible tells me so. That is incredibly good theology. The Bible tells me this. I understand this from the Scriptures. And then you've got this one. Right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. And there's all the people. And that one is rich as well. Like the nursery rhyme writer, whoever came up with that, gets it, that the church is not a building, right? The church is not a worship service. It's the people, okay? It's God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. And so it's not a time slot on Sunday morning, but it's folks covenanted together, living life on on life, right? Living in mission and in community, Okay, open the doors and there's all the people. The church is people. But that little nursery rhyme also kind of speaks to another aspect of that. And that it's people gathered together, right? The nursery rhyme reflects on this, that it's, you know, just inherent what he sees is there's church, there's people, and inside, in a, in a room, gathered together is a group of people, all right? Not scattered like Waffle House hash browns, but gathered together in one room, in one location, open the doors, and there they all are. They're all gathered together. And so the little rhyme describes it that way because it's one of the most fundamental ways that the church expresses herself as we gather corporately. That that's a big deal. 
that in the corporate gathering of the church, okay, um, the people gathering for worship, <clears throat> the reading of Scripture, the proclamation of the Word, right, that is it. To help you get the, the weight of that, let me just say it as clearly and as bluntly as I can. The gathering of the church for the corporate worship of King Jesus is the single most important action that the church does. Like what we do in here, it's not optional, it's not mm, elective, it is a big deal that God has handed down to us for His glory and for our own good. It's a big, big deal that I think sometimes we may miss. That, that fundamentally, of, of first importance, we as a church are to gather corporately in the worship and praise of King Jesus. And so here at Providence, we began a series last week where we're walking through the process by which we seek to fulfill our purpose. All right? Our purpose is to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. And the process by which we do that is by gathering together in worship, growing together in groups, serving the church and the community, and going to our neighbors and the nations with the gospel. But the first, you know, the first step in that, the first step in that process, the very first thing we do as we seek to make disciples and be disciples who worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same, the first thing we do is that we gather together for worship. Now, the process, to be clear, does not end there. Like, if you do not press on to growing in groups and serving the church and the community and going to our neighbors and the nations, if you don't press on to that, you rob yourself and others of the fullness that God has for you in Christ. You're robbing yourself and others of that if you don't press on. But still... as hugely important as those things of growing and serving and going are, gathering for worship is the most fundamental. It is the most fundamental. On the pages of Scripture, there is nowhere you can find a guy, a Christian, who is unyoked from a local congregation that gathers together on the Lord's Day for worship and, and the proclamation of the word. That guy does not exist. It would be a foreign idea to the writers of the New Testament for someone to call themselves a Christian and be unyoked from a church. Unyoked from this fundamental aspect of gathering corporately together as the flock. But why? That, that's the question. That's always the big question. Why? Why, why is that such a big deal? Why is that both a mandate and a blessing for the Christian life? Why is it that way? Well, let's go to Hebrews 10. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, make your way to Hebrews 10. We've already want, read it once. Uh, Chad read it just a few moments ago. If you're taking notes, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw two overarching reasons at you as to why this is such a big deal. And not just for the not just for providence, but why this has been such a big deal over the last 2,000 years of church history and will continue to be until Jesus comes again. 
And so here are those two overarching reasons if you're taking notes. Number one, corporate worship is expected. Corporate worship is expected. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm trying to get that. Well, that'd be gross. <clears throat> number one, corporate worship is expected. And number two, corporate worship is unique. All right, so let's go Hebrews chapter 10. It's on page 652 in, I've got one, thank you. It's on page 652 in the Pew Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you. It's our gift to, to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. What's going on here is the author's been uh, just unpacking, explaining that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins, that no longer do um, regular sacrifices have to be made. Jesus has come, and through his perfect life of obedience and his substitutionary death and his bodily resurrection, he's made a once-for-all-time sacrifice. And so we, this is good news, as believers don't have to do penance, right? If you've ever been in a relationship and you felt like, if you've ever done this, so let's get real in here for just a minute. That person's got to earn my forgiveness. So they need to walk, and when I feel like they are sad enough about their sin, then I'll forgive them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been there? I must be the only sinner in here. We don't have to do that with God. Christ has paid it all. So we don't have to do penance. We don't have to perform steps. Jesus has paid it all. He's the once for all time sacrifice. And so the author here of Hebrews is coming in and he's saying, on the basis of that, here are some things that we need to do. On the basis of all that Jesus has already done for us, here's some things that we need to do. So Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and therefore, brothers and sisters, it can, it can read, he's talking about the church. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. If you remember when Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn in two. The veil that separated the, the majority of the temple from a special section of the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was torn in two, representing we have now direct access into the holiest places, direct access to God. Okay, so by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so number one, again, corporate worship is expected. I mean, it's pretty clear from this text. Verse 25 pretty, you know, just kind of jumps off the page, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Okay, that's pretty clear. Corporate worship is expected, and, and where it's not done, and I'm not talking about you, you get sick here or there, I'm not talking about those sorts of situations, but where there is a pattern of serial skip.
skipping or forsaking of assembling together. Let me just put it like this. What do you call it when you don't obey a command of Scripture? Sin. And so the serial skipping or forsaking of assembling together, again, not talking about like if you're deployed in the military and I covet your prayers for my brother. He gets deployed again this week uh, for the next seven months. So I covet those prayers. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about like if you're providing for your family and, and it requires your shift to work on Sunday. I'm not talking about those specific things, but a habitual pattern and chosen serial just uh, forsaking of assembling ourselves together. That That's, you know, what the author of this portion, what the author of Hebrews is, is writing about that's become the habit of some. That's an unchristian habit. And I'm not saying that you're setting out purposefully to sin against God, but maybe you've never realized this. Maybe you've never wrestled with this. But corporate worship is expected of the believer. And listen, that's not me saying that. That's just me reading the Bible. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But the the corporate nature, all right, and expectation of this gathering doesn't just pop out at us from verse 25. Like this whole passage right here is often referred to as the lettuce passage, right? Like the green leafy thing that should go on hamburgers and pretty much nothing else. But it says, let us, three times. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. Let us, it says, let us, and notice that, us, corporate, together, us, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. It's emphasizing the corporate nature of this gathering, the corporate nature that it is to come and worship corporately as the church, as the people of God, together. The church is not a collection of isolationists. I mean, just think about some of the words that are used in the New Testament that describe the church. And so this is going to be interaction time for just a minute. All right, I want you to give me a couple of words. Like, as a pastor, I'm called to shepherd the what? Flock. That's, a, that's, a, that's more than one goose, I guess. No, sheep. What am I thinking? Have I, been, I promise I've been to seminary. I promise. Okay? Just sometimes. I don't know. Geese? Seriously, that's terrible. Mm. But I am called to shepherd the flock. All right? We, uh, as the church, are the what of Christ? We are the bride. We are also the body. We are the body of Christ. And all of these things are, are, are representative of corporate. So we've got flock, we've got body. Elsewhere you see the church called the bride. You see it called uh, the structure. You see it called the temple. You see it called the household. You see it called the family. All these descriptions all right, that, that we see in the New Testament. And, and when Paul especially 
and other writers as well use these descriptions, listen, they would make absolutely no sense at all without the corporate nature of worshiping together as a church. Like, for example, when the Bible says that we're the body of Christ and some are the hands and some are the feet and on and on and on, that makes no sense if it's not in the context of a corporate gathering. You've got to have the hand and the feet and the foot working together. You've got to have the, the heart and the lungs working together. The legs, all, all these things have to work together. It makes no sense if it's just a bunch of individuals running around. Okay, These things are about corporate imagery. And it doesn't mean that we cease to be the body of Christ when we go, when we, uh, go out from here. Okay, It's just that that imagery, that idea of the body is most fully realized and lived out when we gather together. Corporately, all of us. Because all of us have a role to play in one another's lives, as we're going to see as we continue making our way. And so God has built the church and given us the church, right? We have a mission. But He's done all these things for His glory, even the worship gathering that we come together for His glory and our own good. So uh, a couple months ago, um, <clears throat> I guess it was in October sometime, uh, we decided we had a fire pit in our backyard. And um, so we put Eden to bed, and I let the older three stay up for a little bit longer. And we, the fire burned down, and it's just kind of cold uh, there, you know. And so we roasted some marshmallows and those sorts of things because uh, they don't catch on fire and throw them around as easily when they're just cold. Um, so we had some marshmallows or whatever. And, uh, but I took that opportunity to, to talk to them about something that, I, that I'd heard at one point. Um, you always want to take advantage of teachable moments. Um, and so I got all these coals, and so I talked to them about those coals, and I was like, look, look at all these coals together. Look how they're, they're red, and they're going to stay, like they're just going to continue staying red because they're all together, but, but watch this. And so I took a stick and raked one out and just set it on the side. I said, just watch, give it a, give it a minute or two. And within about two or three minutes, we could pick it up because it was black and it was cold. and it, it, Right? Why? Because it had forsaken the assembling together of itself with the other red-hot coals. Right? When you, when you disconnect from the corporate body, it's much, I'm not saying it's impossible to uh, stay, you know, to, you, it is feasible that you could stay red, but it is highly improbable when you've forsaken gathering together with the collection, with the family of God. And so corporate worship is expected and it's prescribed by God, both for His glory and our own good, so that we don't become cold, little coals, right? So that we stay hot for Christ. That's why He commands it. And so when we then come together in worship, right, when we gather for worship, what we're doing what we're doing right, right now, what we are doing, what we've already done, what we're doing right now, what we're going to continue to do during this time is really two things. We're going to remember and celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. Like that's what worship is all about. We are remembering who God is, that he is the sovereign God of the universe, that he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's eternal. He's good. He's loving. He's the creator God. 
He created all things for the praise of His glorious grace. He created mankind in His image. And then our like nth degree grandparents, Adam and Eve, said, forget you, God. I do not trust that you have my best interests at heart. If you loved me, you'd let me have that fruit from that tree because I see that it is good and I want that. And so you're keeping something from me. So I'm forget you, God. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to be my own authority in life. So that's what they did. And ever since, that's what we've all been doing as well. Doing our own, forget you, God. I know better than you do. I know that you may say this, but you don't understand my situation. You don't understand my circumstances. So I'm going to go my own way. So we are all in this room and every last person on this planet as well, a sinner. And therefore deserving of punishment for our sin. But God in His grace and mercy sent Jesus to live a perfect life, sinless obedience to the Father. And He came and He lived it for us since none of us have. And then He willingly laid down His life as a substitute payment for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. In our place, He died as a substitute payment for our sin. And then three days later, He rose again in victory over sin and death. And he now has ascended to, uh, back to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And he'll bring new heavens and new earth. And all things will ultimately be culminated with a, almost a return to Eden. But better, a better paradise. New heavens, new earth. No more sin, no more sorrow. All those former things gone. Behold, he's making all things New and we will dwell with him forever and ever in an ever increasing life of joy and bliss and harmony. And so we gather in this place to celebrate that, to remember that, to speak that to one another. And, and I get and we should get that that worship. All right. Scripture's clear that worship is not just meant to be something that we just do when we come in here, but it's to be a lifestyle like all of life is worship. Every second of life is to be worshipped. 365, 24-7, it's not just a little, you know, I cut out my little pie and I've got a little slice right here that's my God portion and everything else is mine. No, no, no. The whole pie is Christ. And there's spokes that come out of that that, that we, that we uh, live in. But every ounce of life is worship. <clears throat> And so somebody says, okay, Joe, well, if that is true, then why are you making such a, big, such a big deal about corporate worship? First of all, I'm not. The Bible does. But, but seriously, why, why is this idea of corporate worship such a big deal? I mean, I can read the Bible on my own. I can pray on my own. I can sing on my own. I can do all of these things, right? I mean, we just spent six weeks talking about the spiritual disciplines and how hugely important it is for you personally to open the Bible and read, to pray, to fast, to confess, to repent, to do family devotions, right? We, we talked through all of these things to evangelize. We talked about how hugely important those things are personally in private to do that. So if all of that's true, why can't I just sing in my car? 
Why can't I just download some podcasts from celebrity pastors that are far better than anything you're going to hear in here? Why can't I just why can't I just watch it on TV? Why do I have to come to this place and gather with these people? Why is this so important? It's because there is something unique that happens when you gather together with God's people. That cannot happen in any other place, in any other way. When we gather together. Donald Whitney puts it like this. He says, there's an element of worship and the Christian life that can never be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that our Father gives only when we meet together with other believers as His family. And so if number one is that corporate worship is expected, the number two that we're going to talk about this morning is that corporate worship is unique. Corporate worship is unique. That there's a type of worship that happens when the corporate body gathers together that, that just can't happen when you're listening to a podcast. It just can't happen even when you're singing your lungs out in the car, or even reading the scriptures early in the morning, or praying with your community group. There's a type of worship that happens when the totality of the people of God in a local um, setting gather together. Right? All those other things are hugely important, but there's just something unique that God has commanded and, and works in powerful ways through when we gather together. One author put it like this. He says, God presences himself in a distinctive way in the Christian meeting, a.k.a. church gathering. He does this through his word and through the operation of his spirit. Well, what is that unique way? That's the natural question. What is that unique way? For time's sake, I'm going to try to throw uh, two of those at you straight out of Hebrews 10. So it's, it's like 2A and 2B for getting all technical with our notes. And so those two ways that it's unique, one is that we draw near to God uniquely when we all gather together. And then number two, or B, is that we build one another up uniquely when we all gather together. These, it doesn't happen like this outside of the corporate gathering. And so let's just kind of make our way through those. We draw near to God uniquely when we all gather together. So look at verse 22 again of Hebrews 10. <clears throat> let us draw near. Again, let us, plural, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so listen, I've had amazing times in my life just in private worship of God. I've had amazing times in small groups. I've had amazing times at conferences and listening to sermons online or singing or hearing music in my car or with my family. I've had some wonderful, great times. I don't have a car, I have a truck, but you get my drift. But there's a uniqueness to the way that we can draw near to God as a church. As the total collection of the local body that's covenanted together to pursue Christ together, 
to uh, propagate the gospel together and to press one another on to love and good works together. We've covenanted to do these things. There's a uniqueness to the way that we can draw near to God when we all gather in this place. One guy put it like this. He said, the gathering of us together plays an indispensable role in rekindling our spiritual sight. Like it's that whole idea of the cold, the, the, the dark cold one and the red hot one. And when we gather together, there's an assuring of our salvation. As we hear the word preached and as we see one another and interact with one another, we are challenged in this place. We go through things that perhaps we would not go through in our own time. We don't choose what we're reading. We can't pick and choose. It's, it's something that we sit under. We sit under the word of God. We sit under the word of God that's sung and put out as well. Our souls are convicted sometimes in this place in a way that they might not be outside of this place. See, what happens in corporate worship is God's word and prayer and fellowship uh, come together in a way that just doesn't happen outside of this gathering. This time is one of God's greatest um, means of ongoing grace in our life. And it's not about Chad or me or whoever. It's about the local God set this up. It doesn't matter who's standing on the stage. We draw near to God together in this place. You've got vertical and horizontal going on. We hold fast our confession, uh, the confession of our hope without wavering. We do that together. How, how do we do this? Well, we hear the word, we preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, and we see the word displayed in the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and in baptism. I mean, that, that's why we do what we do in here, because the New Testament, for one, commands what we do. All right, he commands the gathered church because God is gracious and knows what we need. And so the New Testament calls out that we are to pray. When we gather, that we are to read scripture publicly when we gather, that we are to listen to preaching and teaching when we gather, that we are to baptize believers, that we're to share the Lord's Supper, that we're to encourage one another, that we're to give of our finances, we are to uh, build one another up. Like that's the whole background. All of this is aimed at the praise of the glorious grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the building up of his body that we may attain maturity in Christ, Ephesians 4. And that's really kind of the second way that the corporate worship gathering is unique from all other forms of worship. In this place, we are able to, as God has commanded and blessed us, okay, we get to build one another up in a unique way. All right, we get to, we build one another up uniquely. So look at verse 24 now. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we have this call to encourage one another. All right. And to consider. Look at that. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The, the word consider there literally means reflect upon, ponder, 
think about, meditate on, like think about how we can spur one another on to love and good works. That's what, when we come into this place, we should be thinking about how can I spur my brothers and sisters in Christ on to love and good works. And many of you have already thought about that. That's why we've got men out in the cold in the parking lot today serving to spur us on to love and good works. That's why when you came in, there was someone at the door greeting you and someone handing out bulletins to you. That's why there were kids workers there to check your kids in and, 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 and care for your child and teach them in Bible study. That's why we have Sunday morning Bible study teachers who are here. They're here to spur you on. They've considered how they might serve Christ, serve His church, and spur one another on. That's why the musicians are up here. That's why they practice and they rehearse so that they might come in here and spur us on in worship, spur us on in love and good works. So to all of you, thank you. Thank you for serving and spurring us on to love and good works. This is what we gather to do. And when you step out of Hebrews 10 and you look across, especially like Paul's writings all throughout the New Testament, all his epistles, I mean, he just hammers on this idea of building one another up over and over and over and over again. In Colossians 3, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, not just, you know, um, um, speak, O oh Lord, that your truth, but like passion, speak to me now. Thankfulness in your hearts in whatever you do. He's talking about the context of worship. Do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? So, so he, he hammers away at this. 1 Thessalonians, Ephesians 4, and then hugely in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I mean, it's over and over and over and over. He just like slams home that above everything and about everything that we do in church, in the, in the church gathering, in the corporate gathering, whether it's prophecy, whether it's the interpretation of tongues, whatever, all of that, I'm talking about 14, it's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, all of that is to always be done for the corporate benefit. Not personal. Corporate benefit. That it's not about you or me like coming in and, and getting our preference and getting our spiritual needs met, that we come into this place with our minds focused on Christ and focused on how we might serve and spur one another on to love and good works. Not how, man, they didn't sing a song I like. There's too much drum in that one. Right? We're here to worship Jesus and to build up the body. This is part of what it means to be part of the church. It's not just show up and, and, and get your, like, you come and your spiritual goods and services are doled out to you like you came through a drive through and you, you know, came in and you fly out. We, we are to build up the body. We're to spend time. We're to hang around when we can and continue 
talking about what has happened in this time and in this place. And we're to worship and draw near to God together and build one another up. Like Paul's whole point when you look across all of his emphasis about this building up of one another, it's really that what he's trying to say is that one of the primary aims of, of gathering is to glorify and worship God by thinking about how we can strengthen one another. Like that's one of the ways we worship is by thinking about how we can strengthen one another in the faith. We are not isolationists. This is the corporate gathering. This is the family of faith. We gather together to worship the Lord Jesus together and spur one another on in that. Like it's in this place that the one another's of the Scripture begin. And maybe worked out a little further as we gather in groups, you know, as we, as we grow in groups, and maybe worked out a little further in our family lives and our circles. But this is the place where the one another's begin, right? So there's 59 one another's in the New Testament, 59 of them. There's some repeats on those. So I'm not going to read all 59 because, actually I am, but there's repeats, so I'm going to condense them. Like, for example, the command to love one another, 16 times. So just let that sink in for just a second. 16 times the church is commanded to love one another. And love is a choice. Love's not a feeling. Love's not based on what did they do for me lately. Love is a choice. What does love do when it gets hard? Love dies for the other. That's what Christ did. We're called to love one another. Sixteen times. Jesus says, non-Christians are going to know that you are my people by how you love one another. We're called to love one another. Right? But it's in this corporate context that all the one another's find their starting point. And so listen to this. This is how we'd approach one another in this corporate gathering. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one, encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Not done. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens that begins here in the context of the whole church and yet maybe fleshed out a little bit more given fuller expression in community as we grow in groups 
talk about next week. But when we gather in this place, man, that's where it begins. And we have been given the opportunity in a unique way together to draw near to God and to build one another up. And it's a privilege. All around the world for the last 2,000 years, people die for this. Even today, people die for this. And for us, it's just like, well, I could do this or I could do this. Mm, I've had a hard week, so I'll, I'll go to church today and buy off a little bit of grace. Which is wrong thinking, obviously. And so we are to, like, this is what we do. We are to consider how to spur one another on. We're to think about, how can I spur someone else? How, so, how, you think, I, I can't tell you the answer to that. Between you and the Lord, how would, would the Lord have you work to spur someone else on to build them up for love and good works? Is it just saying a thank you to our, some of our teachers? Is it looking around and seeing folks who, you know, having a hard time getting in? Is it maybe you've had uh, heart, heart, heart issues and you know someone else and so you're able to speak a word of encouragement or cancer or you've gone through uh, divorce or you've been um, betrayed or, or this and you're able to speak to someone else in a similar situation to build them up, to push them, to spur them on, to be more like Christ. We're in this together. All these one another's love and consider and be interested and forgive and, and, and um, bear burdens. It begins right here. And that can't happen. Those things that we talk can't happen if we're not gathering. When we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we, again, rob ourselves and others of the fullness that God has for us in Christ. Of what He wants to do in us and through us to, build, to, to bless us and to build this one another up. Spur one another on. And to change us to be more like Christ. Right? And then super quick. In reality, there's really kind of another thing I said too, but there's really kind of a third way that corporate worship is unique from all other forms of worship. And here's what it is. It's a foretaste and a practice for heaven. It's a foretaste. And a practice for heaven. Now, for some of you, foretaste, that may terrify you. This is heaven, huh? You know. Imperfect, though. This is imperfect. It is an imperfect foretaste, but it is a practice for heaven. Right? We, we, we are getting to do, think about this. We are getting to do, right now, what God's people and all the creatures that dwelling around the throne are doing right now. Singing holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb to take the... We get to do that right now. What's going on in heaven? We are worshiping imperfectly, but worshiping on earth as it is in heaven. We Imagine the weight of that. We are worshiping the God of the universe who holds everything in His hand. And we're doing it together. 
no small matter what happens in this place. Life change happens as we gather together. Marriages get put back together. People feel called to ministry and to adoption and to um, um, missions and to like people that happens in here. Conviction of sin happens here. Confession, repentance, these things happen here. Souls are saved. Relationships are mended. All these things happen in this place as we gather together. God is present with us through his word and through his spirit in a very unique way as the corporate body gathers together in a way that he's not in other contexts. He's present always. There's a specialness to this. Even what we're about to do. Even in taking the bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken, that was poured out for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Even as we do this, we're practicing for heaven. Because there's coming a day when all who believe are going to gather in the new heavens and the new earth, and what are we going to do? We're going to feast. Be the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're practicing right now for that. Like, I heard, heard one guy this week say, that, say this. It nails it. Think about this. It was a meal, right? It was a meal that fractured the universe. Genesis 3, what did they do? They took an eighth of the fruit. So the meal that fractured the universe in Genesis when man and woman took and ate is made right through the bread of life who came and gave himself for our sin. And until that day when he comes again and makes all things new, we get to practice and look forward to the meal that is to come through this meal right here. We get to practice. We get to foretaste. We get to see and taste a picture of the gospel. And so as we prepare to do this, I want to just encourage you to take a moment. I want to ask you to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to ask you to ask him to work in us, to work through us. Ask him to help each one of us as members of the body seek to build one another up. Seek to live out all these one another's that we just read. Seek to draw, ask him to help us seek to draw near together and hold fast our confession together and stir one another up to love and good works. Do that together. That is, this is why we gather. That's what it's for. The praise of Jesus. And Him flooding our souls with grace and mercy and um, just encapsulating us in His magnificence and His glory. vertically and then looking horizontally to how we might build one another up. That's why we gather. That's why it's important that you open the doors and there's all the people gathered together corporately in worship. That is foundational to what it means to be God's people. So don't, don't neglect it. Practically, 
und nimmt sie. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us in this time and in this place to realize that to follow Christ is a corporate endeavor. Not we, we are not isolationists. We've been called together. And we come together in worship of you. Not in worship of ourselves and seeking to meet our needs. But in worship of you and in consideration of one another. So would you spur us on to that? That we might gather as a first step, as an important step in worshiping and enjoying you and lead o- leading others to do the same. And Father, as we now come to take and be reminded of your body, Jesus, your blood, Jesus, that was broken and poured out for the remission of sin, that you bore in your body my sin, that you took my sin upon yourself and suffered and died, paying the penalty I owe, that I should pay. Father, help us in this to reflect on that great truth and to receive to receive this time of special communing with you through the remembrance of your sacrifice as a reminder of the depth of your love for us and the grace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.